Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we're joined by Nick Sinai, who most recently served as the United States Deputy Chief Technology Officer, where he led President Obama's open data initiatives. Nick has spent the spring as a Walter Shorenstein Media and Democracy Fellow here at the Kennedy School Shorenstein Center. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. So uh, this season of PolicyCast has seen a lot on open data and government. We've previously had Anish Chopra uh, and Professor Goldsmith on to talk about it. Um, you, perhaps more than anyone, have been deep in the trenches on open data. Um, can you talk about some of the specific improvements that we've seen uh, since President Obama opened up this, this approach? Absolutely. Uh, so starting day one, the president really has been committed to this approach with a memorandum to open government. Uh, more recently, uh, uh, he, he's helped uh, uh, reimagine data.gov. And so you see a, a catalog of, of the data sets that are available uh, to entrepreneurs, to journalists, to the, to the general public. Uh, so I'd really encourage people to check it out. And it's an it's a, uh, evolving, uh, continually evolving uh, website. Uh, but the other thing is that it's not just, the, uh, not just the supply of data, but it's also the demand, right? And so how do you kind of uh, spur demand and build ecosystem? And so you see uh, a number of initiatives from open FEMA the, uh, uh, on, on emergency response to what uh, uh, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services is doing to the open FDA project. And you see all of these agencies that are really, uh, whether it's hackathons, whether it's workshops and data jams, whether it's these full-on data paloozas, these events of, mm -hmm. of goodness, you see agencies that are really engaging with with the public, with the developers, with entrepreneurs, and with the business community about what their assets are, what the problems and the public good that they're trying to solve, and recognizing that there's a lot of creativity and innovation in the private sector that are going to take these data assets and do fantastic things with them. Mm -hmm. I imagine that there are kind of two hurdles with open data. The one is actually getting the information out there, but the second is actually getting people to make sense of that of that data. How much of the open data approach is getting that information out there, and how much of the responsibility is it of the government to interpret that data in a way that is accessible uh, to the general public, to individuals? Well, I, I think government has a significant... Uh, responsibility here. And so the president in, in, in 2013 signed an executive order making that open and machine-readable the new default for government information. And that executive order also required agencies to begin cataloging and maintaining lists of the data assets that they've got. And so you really want your government to protect the data, right? Essentially, if it has proprietary or personal information or national security, uh, that data has to be protected. Uh, and all data needs to be treated as a strategic asset. And that data that can be made public should be made public. Uh, and the, the government should also be engaging with a wide variety of both traditional and non-traditional stakeholders and the general mm -hmm. public uh, about where they should devote their time and resources to making data more useful, more findable, uh, uh, you know, where, where is the highest public good served? Mm -hmm. And so just to give you one, one example, the president has recently launched a precision data initiative led by the NIH, but there's a number of other agencies involved as well. And so it's this idea of how do we get more targeted therapies mm -hmm. uh, 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 to, to diseases? 
uh, or to com- combat diseases. And and so when you when you think about how we're going to tackle that particular issue, uh, certainly how do we protect people's genetic information and how do we protect people's uh, electronic health information? But mm-hmm. you also want to make certain inv- information available to a wide variety of researchers so that they can scrub in and develop these novel therapies. Mm-hmm. So there's some really interesting uh, policy and technical questions to make sure that we're really advancing science, for example, in a way that, that allows as many scientists to really scrub in and as many uh, not-for-profit and for-profit companies to, to, to kind of tackle this problem uh, while still protecting people's privacy. Uh, you've spoken before about a wholesale versus retail approach. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. So I think of uh, open data and, and actually opening up uh, system, IT systems as a wholesale frame to, uh, to government, right? And so it is, uh, uh, I come from the business world, and so I think of this as kind of the wholesale uh, uh, way that government can open itself up. Uh, but then there's also the retail side, which is how do we deliver, uh, how do we deliver services? And increasingly, those are digital services. Those are what I think of as retail. And so mm-hmm. whether those are uh, uh, getting someone a student loan or whether those are, are benefits or services to a veteran, uh, um, whatever they are, or paying your taxes, getting your Social Security benefits, that's a series of retail transactions, say getting a passport from the State Department, mm-hmm. right? And those increasingly are becoming digital transactions. And so we really need to do digital well. And ultimately, we need to move to a state where digital is the default and that there's still going to be uh, uh, equitable and accessible channels, offline channels for those that need them. Uh, But digital needs to be the default. And we have to do that as well as the private sector, uh, the leading private sector companies. And so whether it's Uber or Amazon or FedEx or whoever is delivering that, how is that really customized around the user need rather than the bureaucracy? We're starting to see the uh, adoption of a new C-suite position in various agencies of government, the chief data officer. Can you describe what a chief data officer is? Why, why is it important that uh, agency, agencies have one? For sure. So data is this fantastic asset uh, that agencies have, and they, they, they create it and they collect it in a variety of different ways, mm-hmm. sometimes through surveys, other times uh, it's essentially administrative uh, exhaust. Uh, and uh, this is an asset that needs to be uh, uh, put to the, the best use. And the great thing about data is that it can be used over and over again in a variety of different ways, both inside the enterprise, inside the department or agency, but also externally as, as, as a, a public good. And so a, a chief data officer really is in charge of this mission. Um, and, uh, you know, CIOs and CTOs are very busy and have lots of other responsibilities. And so really there's an opportunity to have someone at the forefront of, of data science, someone mm-hmm. who is, is in part evangelism for the f- evangelist for the data assets inside the federal agency, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, someone who is also going to be able to uh, engage uh, the entire uh, cabinet agency with uh, how do we unlock this data for, for the most uh, public value. Mm-hmm. Before we uh, actually started the interview, you mentioned the $80 billion the federal government uh, spends on IT. Can you explain how uh, open data in uh, digital services can be improved? Uh, absolutely. So we spend $80 billion uh, on federal IT, 
and we're not getting $80 billion of value. Uh, we can do much better. Uh, and so part of that is how do we break things down into smaller projects, right? So how do we move from what's called waterfall approach, where requirements and planning goes on for years, and then building happens for years, and then the, by the time that the software is actually shipped, uh, uh, the, the world has moved on, the technology is obsolete, or it doesn't actually fit the needs of the users, whether they're inside or outside of government. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, And so uh, a, a lean startup or an agile software development approach means how do you break it into smaller pieces? How do you more quickly get prototypes and software and digital services in the hands of users so that they can actually say whether this is solving their problems or not? And so mm-hmm. that I think taking that kind of approach is one that is uh, a hallmark of the president's uh, strategy right now in terms of his smarter IT strategy. So I'm very supportive of it. Uh, there's a great uh, CIO, Tony Scott. Uh, Megan Smith, the current CTO, uh, is, is fantastic. And Todd Park, who is the second CTO, who's now the tech advisor, all of them are, are, are pushing uh, smarter IT strategy. And so I think there's tremendous opportunity to continue along this path of, of, of how do we disrupt this $80 billion of federal IT spend and get, get more value, show more value to the taxpayer, and ultimately give federal employees uh, better tools internally so that they can do their job uh, to help the American people. Uh, about a month ago or so, Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter made a fairly high-profile visit to Silicon Valley uh, to, I guess, ingratiate uh, the Defense Department with the tech community. Uh, I should say, full disclosure, that he was also a professor here at the Kennedy School. Is that something that more agencies need to do to kind of take advantage of? It seems like there's a there's a great difference between a federal bureaucracy and the entrepreneurs that we identify with Silicon Valley. Is there some way for these two uh, communities to interact with each other and really for mutual benefit? I think so. And I think there's a lot of great examples of, of where this is already happening. And I think that we can build upon that and bring find ways to bring more entrepreneurs, more innovators uh, into federal service, whether that's for six months or whether that's for, for four years or whether that's, that, that's for a longer time period. Mm-hmm. So just one example, uh, I had the great privilege of helping start uh, and helping manage uh, the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, uh, which was exactly this. It was how do we bring in game-changing innovators and entrepreneurs, technologists, put them uh, with a team of talented federal colleagues inside of an agency for six to 12 months to work on, on game-changing projects, right? And it was a really fantastic experiment that we started three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, was when we, uh, almost uh, to the day of this particular interview, uh, when we when we started this and we made a call for for applications and we got uh, folks from Silicon Valley but we got people from other other places across the country who mm-hmm. dropped what they were doing and and joined uh, and worked on some really great projects and now the presidential innovation fellow program is in round four and continuing to 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 really uh, demonstrate success there's some really great projects. I'll just give you one quick example. So they did something called RFPEZ. So this was a demonstration project where they showed that by simply doing a, a simpler and easier to use way for procurement, they were able to uh, attract up to 40% new entrants and actually huh. get 30% less uh, in terms of the, the quoted price for small uh, IT projects. And wow. so, so simply by redesigning the project, 
uh, or redesigning the process and having a simplified website mm-hmm. f- uh, could attract new vendors. And so it was, a, it was it was a very great demonstration project there. So so are these ex- experiments that are meant to show the possibility, or are these things that are designed to scale up? Both. So that I think that's that's really the great thing is mm-hmm. is that some of them have gone on to really uh, scale in some pretty exciting ways, mm-hmm. and so uh, some of the presidential innovation fellows have worked on on open data and have really been part of this movement of how do we open data in health, energy, education, public safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them have been focused on how do we get personal data back to citizens safely and securely. So the whole blue button initiative and green button initiative. Uh, they've worked on a variety of projects, uh, and I'll give you an example of one that continues to scale uh, called My USA. And so it's this idea of, well, what what if you could essentially have one login, uh, whether it's your Gmail or whether it's some other some other login, uh, what if you could have one login that would let you work across federal websites, let you save your work, uh, so that you're not constantly dealing with a bunch of different federal usernames and passwords completely putting the user in control. This is an example of something now that the General Services Administration 18F unit, which is this mm-hmm. new digital service unit uh, that encompasses the PIF program, they are continuing to scale. So it started off as a as a uh, PIF project, a Presidential Innovation Fellow project, mm-hmm. but now it's really scaling to be a government-wide service. What is that 18F? What does that stand for? So 18F <laughs> is actually the address uh, <laughs> on the streets of 18 and F. That's a little bit cryptic, but okay. Yes. So it's a digital services uh, uh, group within the federal government. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, this is something. It's a really great story. A couple of years ago, essentially, a number of presidential innovation fellows wanted to continue their public service, and this was at the same time that the administrator of of GSA was looking to expand the the digital capabilities of of GSA. GSA, for those who aren't aware, provides a, a set of services to other agencies across the federal government. So they're the agency that helps buy pens for a lot of, or, or other supplies mm-hmm. for for a lot of the other agencies. They also manage the real estate. And so a lot of, a lot of other agencies essentially lease buildings from the General Services Administration. And so GSA started a, a tech unit, a digital services unit called 18F. Uh, it's now about 100 people and continues to grow. They're attracting people from Google and a variety of other uh, 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 fantastic places, uh, both both kind of established brand names as well as uh, startups, and so the, they're really uh, assembling a great core of of digital and tech talent, mm-hmm. and they're working with the agencies on a number of of projects. Some are, as I said, uh, presidential innovation fellow projects that have scaled up, and other ones are uh, in the area of Freedom of Infor- Information Act transparency. The Federal Election Commission transparency. So there's a number of transparency projects uh, that they're working on as well. It's really fantastic stuff, mm-hmm. and it's part of a larger uh, digital movement. Uh, the White House has launched uh, the U.S. Digital Service, uh, which is essentially a, a set of folks. Uh, now it's up to about 30 folks inside the White House, but you have a number of cabinet agencies that are setting up digital service teams of their own. Mm-hmm. And it really gets back to how do we deliver retail digital services better? Uh, how, do we, how do we deliver more value to, to the citizen and make, make their life easier and really organize the, the bureaucracy around the needs of the citizen? 
uh, rather than force them to navigate the the bureaucracy. So what do you see as uh, coming next in in this process? What what do you see over the next few years? I I think it's going to continue to to grow, and so you we're really just uh, uh, scratching the surface. So I'll give you one example. Uh, the the VA recently announced uh, a couple weeks ago that they're going to launch Veterans.gov, mm-hmm. right? And so this is this idea of why does a veteran need to know a dozen username and passwords just to use the VA site? Why do they, the VA has over a thousand uh, websites under the VA domain? Uh, um, that a veteran uh, and veteran service organizations have to navigate in terms mm-hmm. of what they're what they're looking for, and and why can't we reorganize that uh, around the needs of, of veterans and and essentially by veterans saying you know this is my age and this is my skills and and this is my situation, for it to suggest the kinds of of, of services and benefits. Uh, and educational credits and whatever else that they may be eligible for, much the same way Netflix or Amazon has a series of recommendations for you that mm-hmm. really understand you. So that's that's the vision, and, and that's where the VA is going. They're building their own digital service team, and I'm really excited about the future there. Well, Nick Sinai, thank you so much for uh, being on PolicyCast today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. Produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast.